Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. I'm Jamin Brazil, the show's host. In this episode, we'll hear from insight professionals at top brands, including Nestle, Microsoft, Sky, and Samsung, on the biggest challenges that they face. If you're in sales and want to know what buyers are looking for, or if you're just interested in what other peers in your insights profession are thinking, this episode is for you. Again, I'm joined by our wonderful producer, Chu Yi Yang. Chu Yi, how you doing? Pretty good. Super excited to get this rolling. Well, before we do, let's give a shout out to our 2019 sponsor, G3 Translate. The G3 Translate team offers unparalleled expertise in foreign language translation for market research and insight professionals across the globe. Not only do they speak hundreds of languages, they are fluent in probably the most difficult language, market research. For more information, please visit them at g3translate.com. In our last episode, we analyzed the common factors across our guests that led them to happy careers and consumer insights. And we also gave you two key ways to drive organizational success. And honestly, that was a must-listen-to episode. If you missed it, I would highly recommend going back and listening to it. Now we're shifting gears and diving into one of my personal favorite questions. What is one of the biggest challenges that is facing you, the internal researcher, today? But before we do, I would appreciate it if you take just a moment and rate the Happy Market Research podcast. Your five-star ratings mean that other insight professionals can find this content. It means the world for us. It is not necessarily about gaming the um, system. It's much more just about you helping us continue to add value to the overall insights ecosystem. Okay, so now that you're done writing our show, let's dive in. Thank you. Lots of our guests who are insight pros on the brand side have voiced their frustration on breathing brochures. And what I mean is, when someone approaches them with a new solution, it feels like they're ramming it down the throat of the buyer. I've termed this breathing brochures because brochures are all about the things that is being sold, the problem, the solutions, the stats. Basically, a good brochure is a compelling piece that tells a story that moves the customer to purchase, but it is a monologue. Exactly. This is only part of the way that you successfully sell into consumer insight professionals. Estrella Lopez Brea of the Serial Partnership with Nestle and General Mills said it best. And I think we're being good at adapting technology to increase, you know, consumer engagement, to reduce the dropout rates, to get more accurate data. I think we have evolved there, but there's a lot of shiny objects out there that I feel that neither companies nor um, research agencies know exactly how to use yet. And I'm, of course, topic, talking about virtual reality, reality and machine learnings and things like that. So I'm really keen to look for ways to better understand how to use technology with purpose. So I hate when a vendor calls me to say, hey, you know, we're doing a lot of things on VR. Like, don't tell me this. Let, ask me what's my business challenge. And I'll tell you what it is. And then you tell me if VR is the way to solve it. Volumes have been written on this topic of consultative selling. I am not going to go down that road. The key to sales is relationship. And the foundation of any relationship is trust. Of course, the question is, how do I build that trust? 
in three words, and my ex-boss, Eric Grogache, you've got to give a shit. I mean, you've got to prioritize the customer over your short-term sales quota. For example, imagine that you are in a client meeting and the client communicates some pain points they're having in their business and your company really isn't a good fit to address that specific pain point. What if you refer them to someone who can meet that pain rather than trying to sell them on a short-term win for a long-term loss? Believe me, I understand the pressure of quarterly quotas, probably better than most, but put yourself on the other side of the table. How would you feel if a vendor prioritized you and your needs over themselves? By prioritizing value over sales, you move into the role of trusted advisor. And once in that role, you will have a relationship for life. And there are always opportunities to refer customers to non-threatening vendors to meet a non-competitive need. But the only way you get there is to flex your ear muscles, something I've been doing a lot since editing this podcast. <laughs> so let's hear from Aji Ghosh of Sky and Marian Anderson of Microsoft. For me, the biggest issue is not getting the balance right between market research and other types of insight gener gen generation. So that can include big data analysis or A-B testing or econometrics. You know, not just Sky, pretty much most companies that I've come across through sort of lecturing at the Market Research Society. Um, companies are fall between two extremes. You know, on, on the one extreme, they do only A-B testing and they don't really value market research. On the other side, you have people that love market research so much that they don't care about sort of CRM or big data, etc. And the problem with that is that, uh, is that people rarely find the right balance of market research and other types of data exploitation. For me, indisputably, it is the combination of uh, multiple data sources and decisions needed to get made at speed. Frankly, trying to get a piece of research done quickly to make a decision in, say, 48 hours is hard. Trying to get a piece of research done quickly and then layer in multiple other sources of data is exponentially harder. We aspire to that. We, you know, we want to be at the table where real-time decisions get made uh, and we're able to be strong strategy consultants uh, on, on those decisions. And so it is just a constant pressure of what's the right data to bring into the table? How do you bring it to the table? What's the story? And then our agencies are, are frankly, they're such critical partners and extensions of our team. You know, without them, we, we just simply cannot be successful. And we really rely heavily, heavily on our partners to execute the research, to, to really get in and understand the business problems with us. Triangulating truth is at the core of consumer insight success. Long gone are the days where you can simply prop up self-reported survey results and expect the company to rally. The biggest projects that I ever sold always incorporated external data sources into the self-reported data. So you want to think about opportunities to be able to add value to your customers' projects in an automated way as much as possible or painless way as much as possible that helps them bolster the self-reported data with more context around what that, uh, those opinions mean. The other issue I hear a lot is the connection between sampling and lack of time. Really quick, what I mean by sampling is the actual process of getting people to give you feedback. So why is that? It's because most of the project life cycle is still spent in the fielding stage, collecting the interviews. 
It's no wonder that we have had such a huge rise in black box data collection approaches. By wiring together the survey creation to the gathering of the responses to the analytics, we can create a huge time saving. However, there are material risks. We still need to understand the algorithms and the sampling sources, as well as everything else in order for our research to be truly effective. This next few minutes are an excerpt from Monty Python's Holy Grail. As you can hear, there's an angry crowd that is bringing a woman forward. You can't actually see her face at this point. Who do you know she is a witch? She looks like one. Bring her forward. I'm not a witch. I'm not a witch. But you are dressed as one. They dressed me up like this. And this isn't my nose. It's a false one. She has a hollowed out carrot secured to her nose. Well, we did do the nose. The nose? And the hat. But she's a witch. Did you dress her up like this? No! 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 no. no. Yes! 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 A bit! A bit! A bit! She has got a wart! What makes you think she is a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt? I got better. As budgets have tightened and demand for insights increased, automation has become an obvious release valve for us. This is something that I've employed my entire career, by the way. There can be no question that automation is the right answer. However, we need to apply a high degree of attention to how the sausage is made. Consider this quote from Ann Brown, CEO of Gazelle Global Research Services. Just what I said earlier, I think we should be paying people a fair price for their time. You know, whatever that is. Is it a Starbucks card? It certainly should be more than a quarter. I mean, really? I just think it's a crazy thing. And, you know, granted, it's not an hour-long interview, you know, or a 90-minute interview that you might have for a qual situation, but quant's not just five minutes or 10 minutes. It's a lot longer than that. Segmentation studies have been put online. They're still online and they're long. People are being asked to spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. You know, by the time they get 20 minutes done, you know, you're complaining that they're straight lining. Well, they're tired, you know, and, and what are you going to give them for that? I just think that we should change it. So who has responsibility to ensure that things are done right? Rion Fundamarva, product manager at Wildbit, believes, as do I, we need to take responsibility for the ethical implications of the things that we make. I think hmm. that it's it's been it's too long that we talk about product design and user interface design. We talk about how things work and what they look like. We don't talk about why they exist. And we've seen what happens when we don't talk about why things exist and if things should exist. I don't even have to give examples everyone knows i think what i'm talking about from uber through facebook through all the google stuff all of that and i think that we have for too long said well we'll just we just do the thing we just make the thing technology is neutral the point is that it's not and i think that everything we make has has a systemic bias in it and i think our biggest challenge is first of all convincing people that this is important an important part of our jobs and then and then second of all asking the right questions when we make things to make sure that we build in ways to 
prevent the products that we make to be used for harm. If you can remember back to the Monty Python skit that we played at the beginning of this section, the crowd was desperate for the lady to be a witch. In a similar way, when you were working hard to get your quotas filled and just get out of field because of all that pressure, it is really tempting to use automated solutions that are delivering completes, especially at a low price point. But it is our responsibility as researchers to make sure that we apply common sense to those completes that are coming through on our projects. I know it's easy to say, it's really hard to do. Today, a major point of differentiation is to operate in full transparency. From how much incentive the respondent is making to the algorithms, the more you have available, the bigger the delta that you create between yourself and the rest of the market. Storytelling came up a lot. Mitchell Ashenshin, a insights professional at one of the world's largest pharmaceutical firms, talked about the importance of reducing the research into a repeatable story. I think probably the biggest one that comes to mind is probably communication synthesis. So as market researchers, we're used to dealing with a lot of data, but I always have to remember that as a market researcher, I have to recognize that a majority of my audience, if not all of my audience, doesn't have two different things. It's one, they don't know the data to the degree that I do. It's because I spend as much time as what I do with the data. Uh, you know, I have a trained market research background. So my audience just in most cases doesn't have that. But secondly, my audience doesn't have the time to digest all of the data that I'm used to dealing with. So I truly believe that my task as a market researcher is to make my market research and make the data matter to them. Most of the time, our insights reside in a PowerPoint. However, here are a few other ideas that you can leverage to help add some punch to your presentations. The first one is creating a highlight reel. This gives a face and voice to your insights. There are many free tools that you can use, such as iMovie or whatever, um, which will help you do a decent job of enabling you to switch together a few video testimonials. The second way is running a Tufty style meeting. And this is one of my favorites. Originally, I read about this from how Amazon handles their internal meetings, which has famously banned PowerPoint in favor of a six page paper. People show up to the meeting where they're presented with the report. They then sit in silence, read the pages in about 10 minutes, and then afterwards, the remaining part of the meeting is spent discussing the implications. The overall benefit of this approach is that it prevents the interrupter, meaning that they have to understand the whole process and journey as they're going through this six-page paper and before they can formulate their questions to the group. So one, it creates a shortcut. Two, I believe it creates a deep level of intimacy with the audience and the content, and then it creates this very productive conversation. The third way is standing around posters and printouts. Stephen DeMarco, the chief digital officer at Kantar, hosted me for their 2019 Digital Transformation Seminar. Their keynote was done by the head of Disney Innovation. He used, and I had not seen this before, at least to the as quality as he had presented it, but he used a flip chart instead of PowerPoint. What I mean by that is he had drawn just the content you normally have in PowerPoint. He just basically put it into 
uh, a, a flip chart. And each page was functionally as a slide. It was a little bit prettier than that. You can imagine the head of innovation at Disney, pretty artistic. But after he presented each page, it was tacked on the wall for later reference. After he was done, we all stood up and then we walked around and looked at the pages that were hanging on on the walls. And it created this interesting sort of discussion with my peers and kind of pulling out the, the key content that was relevant to us at that particular point in time. The last way I'll talk about is have stakeholders code interviews. I have done this a lot through my career. There are several tools that you can use. Obviously, Excel is one. Dovetail is one I have not used but recently heard about. Um, you could split up the group into um, uh, either individuals or you split them into uh, two or three. Everybody's involved. They have their project code book. There, you give them some open ends and then you go through and have them actually code the open ends. The point isn't about being right on the coding. It is more about the immersion that happens with your constituents or your stakeholders to the actual data itself. Getting back to the basics also came up a lot. In our interview with David Garcia Pauli, the Director of European Countries for Consumer and Market Insights at Samsung, he makes a case for executives to make time to do part of the research, not as a passive observer or a consumer of the report, but as an active part-time agent in the field. I think um, the first thing we, we support, I think that the attitude we have to it, I think that the biggest change uh, we need to do in, in from a brand's point of view, we need to get out a lot more. It's a very basic thing, but I think uh, we try and do research, but we need to, uh, I think that, 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 that should never be a substitute for common sense. And I think what I find in, in many organizations is that we're all stuck inside offices and we don't go to the point of sale enough. Uh, we don't speak to consumers informally enough. I think we, we need to get out and even... Uh, self-moderating i mean this is not against real uh, research institutes who do with professional moderators but i think it's interesting in several of the organizations i've been to I've, I've even given trainings on teaching marketing departments on how to moderate what i mean by moderate is how, how to ask a question how to listen to consumers and i think it's it's good for clients cars to actually be able to sit around a table or go shop, go, you know, do shop alongs. A lot of the ethnographic research, I think that is, uh, that's been there for for ages. But I think we need to do a lot more than the, of that rather than just read things. It's actually get out and talk to people, listen to people. So it's not so much inventing new things, but going in some cases back to basics to learn about those things. There were actually more than just a few conversations where the researchers' execs were asking to be included in the interview process. In fact, Estrella's CEO makes time every quarter to visit their customers. Before we end this episode, I'd like to chat about the P word, that is procurement. With over a billion dollars in funding, Cruise is one of the fastest growing startups in San Francisco. One of their key challenges is sourcing both vendors and staff. In our conversation with Michael Yaksik, Director of Customer Strategy at Cruise, he talked to us about how he finds new vendors and what he's looking for. So honestly, um, the way I've, I've traditionally relied on word of mouth, that's been my biggest go-to. 
um, for the most part. And, um, or, or if something um, piques my interest, you know, it, it's really the combination of those two, <laughs> right? It's like marketing. It's like right time, right place, right person, right? right? It's, all, it's all those things. But most of the time I have been thinking about this a lot uh, quite uh, recently because I'm really focused on building the team's capabilities out. So right now, um, you know, tools, solutions, anything that goes beyond kind of survey platforms, because we do have a survey platform, we have two now that we can leverage in-house because agility is, is key for us, are really the things that I'm most interested in. Anything that kind of adds the value and, and can still push the envelope is, is also of interest too. But then, as I mentioned, you know, customer strategy, right? It's just not research. We're also, you know, leveraging analytics and, and doing a lot with uh, third-party data. I mean, something I've been looking for a lot has been behavioral data related to how people just move about cities, right? Mm. You know, San Francisco, you know, all cities, major cities, right? So it's kind of like modes of transportation, who are the people themselves who do this, you name it. Because there's so much wealth of data out there to be tapped into, and it's 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 an area that the opportunity that's unlocked by the technology is so great that you do have to cast the net broad as well. So trying to get at that behavioral piece, I think, is really really essential, and that's again something that we would look at for a partner to to help provide. It is vital that vendors differentiate themselves. But I'd say that the biggest point of differentiation is relationship, plus some grounds to do business. What I mean is, if you build trust with your target customers, then you'll win the long game. Sure, product, quality, and price are all part of the equation. I'm not saying they're not. But in the end, buyers want to work with people who do the hard stuff with them. In the next episode, we're going to focus on the biggest needs according to agencies. It's no surprise to anyone in this space, but it's getting harder and harder to get people to take long surveys or, or answer questions in general, right? So I think as an industry, we need to become really more creative in how we're going to collect the insights from from the consumers or from anyone who's, who's willing to provide them. Um, but we've got to make it more engaging, and it's got to be less of an effort for, for, that, for that person. Happy Market Research is hosted and produced by me, Chu Yi Yang, and Jamin Brazel. Special thanks to our reference guest, Aji Ghosh, Head of Research and Data Science at Sky, Ann Brown, CEO of Gazelle Global Research Services, David Garcia, Polly, Director of European Countries for CMI at Samsung, Estrella Lopez-Brea, the Global Head of Consumer Connections at Serial Partnership Worldwide, Marion Anderson, Director of Insights at Microsoft, Michael Yaksik, Director of Consumer Strategy at Cruise, Mitchell Atchison, an insights professional at one of the largest pharmaceutical firms, and Rion Fundamater, product manager at Wildbit. To subscribe to the podcast, go to iTunes or check out the Happy Market Research website at happymr.com. You can follow us on Twitter at happymrxp. Thank you for listening and see you next week.